back in August of last year, I began a series titled Love as God Loves. And the focus of this series is our calling as God's people, as God's chosen people, to emulate God's love. That is, to love as God loves. To love one another as God loves each and every one of us. And in that study, I cited two verses as being key for this series, both from the Apostle John, the first coming from his gospel, uh, verse 13, excuse me, uh, chapter 13, verse 34, and he's quoting the Lord Jesus here. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then the second verse is from John's first epistle. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And he says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, in these two verses, the apostle identifies the principle of loving as God loves as a command given to each one of us by God. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's a command given to us by God. And he also cites it as a key evidence of our salvation. It literally defines us as being Christian, as being truly born again. So these truths establish the the critical importance that we have a true and accurate understanding of exactly what God means when he says love. It's very important. It's critically important. We can't rely on what we might think he means. It's just too important. We certainly can't rely on how we might choose to define love. So the first step we took was to study God's definition or God's meaning of love, the specific love to which he calls us. The title of that that, uh, first study, the title is Defining Agape. And I'm going to give, in just a moment, I'm going to give a brief review of that study to get us going this morning. But if you'd like to review it in its entirety, it's out there on Sermon Audio. It's called Defining Agape. So the Apostle John gives us the most succinct and accurate definition of agape in one single verse. It's from his first epistle, 1 John 3.16. And this is what he says. By this we know love, that he, the Lord Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We learned that agape is love that is entirely concerned for the other person, not for yourself. In the biblical context, expressing agape is intentionally, it's meant to be sacrificial. 
And that's because it represents, it demonstrates in a physical sense the Lord's love for each one of us. This is true every single time we express that love, agape, to one another. And this is the, 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 the counterpoint to that statement is this, and so critically important for us to know and understand. Every time we fail to do so, we're denying the Lord's love for us. Think about that for a while. We learned that agape originates from God's very nature. Therefore, it's, it's different. It's fundamentally different from any natural, human, worldly form or type of love. It's unique. It's spiritual. It is not natural in its essence. It's the love that Jesus had for us in going to the cross. We learn that God gives us, has given us, the ability to love in this way. He gave us that ability the moment we were born again. And he not only gave us the ability, but he gives us the actual love itself, the substance itself. He literally fills us with this unique love, with his unique love. And he fills us in a particular way. He fills us to the point of overflowing, but ongoing overflowing. It's like turning the faucet on and just walking away and leaving it. It continues to fill us to overflowing. And there's a purpose in that. His purpose in that is that that love would then overflow onto one another. So it's not, it's for us, but it's not just for us. It's for us, and then it's for us to express and demonstrate to one another. So being equipped with the ability and filled with the substance of that love, of agape, we are, each and every one of us, we are, and I mean this in an absolute sense, we are able to fulfill this commandment. We're able to. No excuses. If you ever feel like, well, I just can't, I can't love this person that way, you're wrong. He has made us able by, by giving us the ability and by filling us with the love to love one another just as he has loved us. So in that last study, we learned what love is, what it really is, what it is from God's perspective, not our perspective, not the world's perspective, but from, uh, from God's perspective. We learned how he defines this love. Now, in this study, in today's study, we'll be looking at just how important it is to God that we, his people, love one another in this way. We're going to take a look at how he prioritizes this love in the day-to-day lives of his people. Now, there's many, many examples and expressions of God's love throughout his word that we could study and learn from. 
I mean, in, in a certain sense, it can rightly be said that every single word in the Bible is an expression of God's love. I've chosen one passage, one passage from which I hope to draw many practical expressions of agape and to develop into this series of studies practical ways that we can express God's love to one another. Practical ways that we can love as God loves. So please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Now this chapter, it contains what I see as three logical sections. Verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 is an overview of how the Lord himself has prioritized for us the expression of agape love in his church among his people. Then verses 4 through 8 are what I would call the most resonant verses in this passage. What Paul does here is he describes 16 specific attributes of agape love in respect to life application. He's teaching us how to love this way. Then verses 9 through 13 is a reiteration of the Lord's priority or prioritization of love in our daily lives with a look to future eternity to to put it all in an eternal perspective for us. Paul emphasizes in this section that agape love and expressing agape love to one another fills our lives with lasting, with eternal significance. So my plan looks something like this. This morning, I will begin with a focus on those first three verses, verses one through three. Then I'm going to conclude today's study with a very brief look, like an, like an outline, an overview um, of what the, apostle, what the apostle has identified as these 16 specific attributes of agape love in respect to life application. And then what I want to do in future studies, I'll focus on each one of Paul's 16 individual points as individual studies and develop practical expressions of each. The first of those studies, Lord willing, will be next Sunday because Tim will still be out of town. And then eventually, I want to conclude the series with an exposition of those, that last uh, set of verses, verses 9 through 13. So if you're, if you're there in 1 Corinthians 13, I want to read the whole chapter and then we'll, we'll take a focused look at verses 1 through 3. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Okay, in verses one through three, what Paul does here is he lays down a foundation in these verses, a a foundation upon which he builds his entire case for love in this chapter. It's a foundation that we're meant to keep close to our hearts and at the forefront of our minds as we proceed through reading this chapter. Now, the church in Corinth was... It was filled with many true believers, believers who were really focused on living their lives for the Lord. They earnestly desired to serve the Lord. The issue with which Paul was dealing, the, the, really the context of this chapter, was that the Corinthians, they had gotten certain spiritual priorities wrong or messed up or even backwards. They placed extremely high value on spiritual excellence. Now, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not dogging spiritual excellence here. Spiritual excellence in and of itself is not a bad thing. But in some ways, what they had done is they had taken the, this to an extreme And for many, it had actually become an idol. And it was causing divisions within the body. In their zeal for spiritual excellence, what had happened for many of them is that they lost sight of the importance of love. And in many cases, they got to the point where they omitted love entirely from the equation. They failed to understand how God prioritizes love. They failed to understand that without love, the greatest of all spiritual excellence, you can be as 
excellent as is possible in all of these ways, but without love, what is it worth? It's worth nothing. It's meaningless and absolutely worthless from the Lord's perspective. And this is what Paul exhorts in these three verses. He lays a foundation by addressing three key or fundamental areas in every Christian's life. He talks about what we say, that is our words, what comes out of our mouth. He talks about what we know or what we, what we think, what goes on in our mind, in our brains. And he talks about what we do, our actions. So in verse 1, he focuses in on our words. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I was tempted to uh, do a little demonstration here this morning, but I'm restraining. But just a few minutes ago, uh, the worship team was playing and Sam was playing the drums and he used the cymbals several times, right? You guys remember that? But just, try, just imagine if I'm up here speaking right now and he was over there just crashing one of the cymbals as hard as he could, just sitting there crashing it. Would, would that be a beautiful sound to you? No, it would, be, it would be irritating. It would be distracting. It would be, as far as beauty goes, it would be worthless. That's kind of the word picture that, that Paul's giving us here. Okay, so the Corinthians thought very highly of impressive and eloquent speech. And they were, they were fascinated with the idea of supernatural languages. They were intrigued with the idea that they could actually speak in these unknown, these really unlearnable, in a, in, a, in a physical sense, unlearnable heavenly languages. Now, the specifics of speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues is not the main point of this verse. Paul's emphasis is that regardless of how eloquent you are able to speak, regardless of how articulate you may be, regardless of how many languages you speak, even if you truly do speak in heavenly languages. You see, I mean, for the believer, being able to communicate well, being able to articulate the deeper and more intricate portions of God's word, that's a good thing, right? It's, it's valuable. It's important. But Paul's point is that if your words and the heart attitude behind your words are not infused with love, with agape, if the purpose and the reason for each word that you speak is not to express God's agape love, his point is, then your words are meaningless. They're meaningless. They're worthless. They're nothing but irritating, disturbing, and incoherent noise. Not even background noise. Foreground noise. And, again, from the Lord's perspective here, you and those around you they would simply be better off if you just kept your mouth closed. That's the bottom line. 
That's what Paul is saying here. Now, in verse 2, he focuses in on what we know, what we think, what's going on in our mind. He says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So the Corinthians, their high regard for spiritual excellence, it influenced the importance that they put on education, on knowledge, and on insight, even spiritual insight. And the idea that they could actually access a higher plane of knowledge and understanding, a a higher plane of secret, spiritual knowledge. This was, for many, this was intoxicating to them. And again, let's keep in mind, just like our ability to communicate, the believer's knowledge of God's word, the focused development of gifting that God has given each one of us, the practice and growth of our faith, all of these things are very important. It's all good stuff, right? Very valuable, very important. But education and the acquisition of knowledge had become, to many of them, an idol. And similarly, it has become an idol, that is, knowledge, education, insight. It's become an idol in our culture and society to many people today. It really has. And I believe that in many ways, this has even had an influence, an unhealthy influence on the church. Some of the Corinthians and much of the population today believe that knowledge, education, is the substance and the essence of a person's value. The more you know, the more educated you are, the more valuable you are, the better person you are. And many, that's, for many, that's where they find their self-worth. Well, what Paul is doing in this verse is he's driving home the point that anyone who possesses all of this, all of it, as much as can possibly be possessed, anyone who possesses all of this but is devoid of love is nothing, absolutely nothing. Again, from the Lord's perspective. These words that Paul wrote were inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking to us. Our gifting, our knowledge and understanding, and our expressions of faith are all meant to be. They're designed to be. The Lord wants them to be conduits for expressing God's love to one another. Now in verse 3, he focuses in on what we do. That is, our actions. He says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So, if 
possessing the most eloquent speech, even the ability to speak in heavenly languages, and possessing what others, what many would recognize as supernatural intellectual understanding and faith, if all of that amounts in the Lord's estimation to absolutely nothing without love, how much more so then our actions, what we do on a day-to-day basis. Paul uses in this verse what I see as extreme levels of sacrifice. Look at where he says, giving away all I have. So he's not, he's not talking about just being a faithful tither, you know, giving 10% of your, king, of, of your income. He's not, he's not talking about just being a generous giver, maybe, you know, giving 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 90% of your income. No, he says giving away all. I have everything. If you do that, and then he says, deliver up my body to be burned. He's not, he's not giving us an example of helping out a neighbor when that neighbor is in need. You know, sacrificing my Sunday afternoon to go help out a buddy. He's saying, deliver up my body to be burned. The ultimate physical sacrifice. Okay, he uses these to illustrate a principle. If what he says is true, and it is, but if what he says is true regarding these examples, then the principle is that it's equally true of anything less than that. That's why he goes to, the, to these extremes, to make this point. Now, we live in a culture and a society today, um, I, 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 I would describe it as dripping with philanthropy. People give so much of their resources in the name of helping others. And again, I'm not in any way um, a putting down or dogging giving and helping others, okay? And maybe all of this giving really does help some who are in need, to some extent at least. But so often, the point that I'm making here is that so often the motivation of the giver is self-oriented. Things like giving so that you will receive tax benefits, notoriety of some type, benefits and perks, and quite often just to make yourself feel better about yourself. I think that's a big one. I think a lot of people out there in the world give and give a lot because they feel so guilty. They feel guilty about their sin, and this is just a way of them, at least momentarily, making themselves feel a little bit better about themselves. Paul's point in this verse is that the greatest degree of self-sacrifice, the greatest degree of giving to these extremes that he's listed here, it's all meaningless when it's done devoid of love. Again, this is from the Lord's perspective. What does it mean to the Lord to see someone who sacrifices so incredibly but is devoid of love? It's meaningless. When it's done for your own purposes and your own benefit. So, without love, 
the most eloquent, motivating, and impactful speech, even heavenly speech. The way the Lord sees it, they're not even words. They're just clanging, irritating, meaningless noise. The greatest, most eloquent speech of earth or heaven without love. It's nothing more than that. It's meaningless noise. And those who possess the greatest understanding and wisdom and who have and exercise the greatest faith, but they lack love, they lack agape, they're actually, in reality, from God's perspective, they're nothing. They're just nothing. Without love, no matter what we do, even self-sacrifice that goes beyond most, if not all, human understanding. I mean, have you ever seen or heard of somebody giving in, in such an incredible way and you just kind of shake your head or scratch your head and you go, I don't even get that. I mean, that's just beyond me. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Even giving like that, devoid of love, What's it, what does it mean to the Lord? It amounts to absolutely nothing. And the one who is sacrificing, the one who's giving, gains zero, gains no eternal rewards. He might gain a lot of, of temporal rewards, a lot of rewards here in this life, but eternally, absolutely nothing. He summarizes, Paul summarizes these, these three categories of human activity, really the totality of our lives. I mean, you, can, you can sum up our lives in that way. What we do, what we say, and what we think. That pretty much covers it all, right? He, he summarizes our whole lives in these verses. And his point is that without love, without agape, our entire lives, our entire lives amount to absolutely nothing in the end. On that day of judgment, when everything that we have done throughout our entire lives, if it's devoid of love, as it passes through the fire of the Lord's judgment, what will remain? Nothing. Now, in the next section of this chapter, what Paul does is he, he um, crystallizes, he, he identifies or defines for the true believer who has ears to hear how to love as God loves, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, I need to, I need to love as God loves. And then, okay, we've studied it, and now I understand what that love is. I understand what it means, but how do I do it? How do I do it on a day-to-day basis? Well, Paul helps us out here. Verses four through eight, he describes 16 specific attributes of agape love in respect to life application. And an interesting thing that, that I noticed that I want to point out to you is the Greek form of each of these attributes the Greek form of the word is a verb. 
Okay, so the focus here is not so much on what love is, although in studying all of this, we are certainly going to learn, you know, to a greater degree what love is from God's perspective. But the focus is not so much on what love is, but what love does and what love doesn't do. So he addresses love in individual, understandable, attainable, bite-sized chunk action items. We're meant to take from this section not just greater intellectual understanding of love, of agape, but it's meant to change our day-to-day lives. It's meant to to change our day-to-day life habits and for us to grow in loving one another as God loves us. That's really what it's meant to do. And this is why I want to develop an individual study for each one of these 16 action items. We're going to go through the list in a moment. I'm just going to give a, like a real quick brief overview of what it means. And for many of these, you might, you might think, well, it's pretty easy to understand. I got it. You know, we don't need to spend 45 minutes on studying it. But really, we do. Because anybody who can look at this list and not say, I execute this perfectly every single day of my life. Anyone who can't say that needs to go through a 45-minute to an hour-long study of each one and really let it sink in. So I I, I hope to do that. All right? Um, My hope is that we'll be able to all, you know, realistically and practically apply these things in our daily lives. So this morning, like I said, I just I want to give a brief description of each one of Paul's action items. So beginning in verse 4, we're going to go through verse 8. I'm just going to to touch on the specific attribute and just give you a a, a brief description of it, okay? So, love is patient. Patient means long-suffering or long-tempered. It's the ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of by a person over and over and over again and yet not become upset or angry. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness is the counterpart to patience. It gives and keeps on giving to others, even those that you don't get along with so well, even those who you might, you might even feel are your enemies, and even when there's no appreciation shown in return. To be kind means to be useful, to be serving, to be gracious. It's active goodwill. It not only desires the welfare or the good of others, but it actively works for it. Love does not envy. Now, the meaning of this word, in the original language, the meaning has two forms. Okay, envy. It wants what someone else has. I think we all understand that. But an equal meaning is that it desires evil for someone else. It desires evil for someone else. 
Like, you have what I want and I don't have. So not only do I want what you have, but I want you to not have it. Love, regardless of the circumstance, does neither. Love does not boast. Boasting is the other side of envy. It's an expression of the desire to make others envious of what we are or what we have. See, if I'm boasting, I want you to envy me. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Arrogance is being puffed up and conceited. Arrogance is thinking more highly of yourself than of others. It's the heart orientation that leads us to boasting. Love is not rude. Rudeness has to do with poor social manners. It is acting unbecomingly or impolitely to others because you care nothing about their feelings. It's careless, it's overbearing, and it is oftentimes crude or crass. Love does not insist on its own way. Insisting on one's own way is the manifestation of the outward manifestation, the displaying of selfishness. Let me read you a quote from John MacArthur. He said, The root evil of fallen human nature is in wanting to have its own way. I agree with him. It's replacing all others, including and primarily, most importantly, God with yourself. Love is not irritable. Anger is at the root of being irritable. See, we're not talking about righteous indignation. We're not talking about being upset because someone is doing something or saying something against the Lord. No, this is an arousal to sinful anger because of something that has been done to you or because of something that has not been done to you. Love is not resentful. This word, resentful, the Greek word that we've translated to resentful, it's actually a bookkeeping term and it means to calculate or to reckon. In this context, what it means, it has to do with keeping track of things done against you, whether they be actual or perceived. If someone has wronged you in any way, or maybe they haven't actually wronged you, but you've just perceived that they have, it's keeping track of it. It's never, never letting go of it. It's always there, and it's always bothering you. That is resent or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This means to take satisfaction or find pleasure in sin, whether it be your own or someone else's. Taking any type of pleasure 
in any sin. It's the act of making what is wrong appear to be right. It's, it's literally taking God's truth and just turning it upside down. Up is down and down is up. Wrongdoing. Love does rejoice with the truth. This is, of course, the contrast to rejoicing at wrongdoing. Paul's meaning of truth here, keep in mind, it's not limited or focused on just merely factual truth, but it has to do with the revealed truth of God's word. Love bears all things. This means to cover or to support others, even when you are in personal disagreement with them. And this is, of course, within the context of God's truth, God's righteousness, and God's will, okay? You would not want to apply this in a situation where someone you know is sinning. But when we're talking about things within that context of God's truth, righteousness, and will, we all know that we still have disagreements, right? So bearing with someone is supporting that that person, helping that person, covering that person, even when you disagree with with what it is that that they're saying or standing for. Love believes all things. This has to do with believing the best about a person. It's not suspicious. It's not cynical. It's believing that a person is innocent until they are proven guilty. It's not blind belief, like if, you know, if it's obvious, if you know for sure that a person is guilty of something, just deluding yourself and saying, no, he's not. No, it's, like I said, it's, it, it has to do with, with believing the best about a person and believing that person until he's proven wrong or guilty. Love hopes all things. This has to do with always looking for a godly outcome, even in the midst of wrongdoing, failure, and sin. Whatever the situation is, always looking for a godly outcome. Even when righteousness and repentance is shattered, love still hopes. There's still hope. Love endures all things. The Greek word here is a military term that means to hold a vital position at all costs. Okay, love holds fast to those it loves, no matter what, and no matter what the cost. It refuses, absolutely refuses, to stop loving. And then finally, Paul tells us that love never ends. See, the things of the world all come to an end. We far too often, we focus our attention, we pour our energy, our resources into things of the world, things that are temporary, things that will come to an end. Paul's drawing our attention here to the fact that in contrast to all the things of the world, all the things that come to an end, love is eternal. This is meant to refocus our heart's attention from things that end to love, which never ends. Expending our our attention, our strength, 
to those things that will end in a, in a comparative way now. It's foolish. It's childish. It's immature. It ended, and it ends up being meaningless. The mature believer sees this and redirects his heart's attention to eternal things. And, you know, this is just, I want to make this point, it's just one of those things that is so wonderful to to think about in in respect to God. He has given us a specific activity in this temporal life, a specific activity that is eternal. And that activity is loving one another. It's eternal. Love, agape, it's an investment that pays dividends that never, and I mean this in an absolute sense, never diminish. They only grow. I mean, think about that. If you were given the opportunity to make a financial investment and somehow you were given the absolute assurance that your investment the only thing it can possibly do is grow. It's mathematically impossible for it to remain the same or to diminish how many people would invest. Well, if you're smart, you'd take every penny of your assets and you'd put into that investment, right? I can't lose. That's what God's given us in love. It's an investment that can only grow. And that's because love never ends. Okay, so this is by no means an exhaustive list of attributes of agape love in respect to life application, but these are all expressions of agape. They're all expressions of placing others before yourself. They are all expressions of loving as God loves. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for teaching us what love is and how important it is to you that we love one another. Father, I pray that you will please help us to do more than merely hear these words and walk away unchanged. Please help us to embrace these words, to have them penetrate our hearts, to have them penetrate our minds, and to, ha- to do so in a life-changing way. Father, I pray that you will help us to love one another as you love us. Amen.